All right, everyone, welcome back to the GMT show. And boy, am I glad I waited on this one till Friday morning to record um, the last parts and segments of this one. So uh, we're going to talk about Draymond Green 100%. The video came out today. Um, the video intern is most likely fired and gone, uh, whoever gave that to TMZ. So we're going to get into that um, before. We get into the interview that we did today with Mr. Lee Cole. I appreciate him coming on. It's a great interview, so make sure you stick around and listen to that one uh, as we talked about injuries, the mental aspect of injuries with both parents and also student athletes. So uh, very informational, and I appreciate him coming on and talking about that. Uh, we're also going to talk about Victor Wembignana and also Scooter, uh, the top two picks. They went one one v one uh today as they're both the g league night and the french team went and battled in las vegas this past week we're going to talk about them and just how good they might be all right and then we'll also go through the nfl picks super quickly i'm um, going to try and make this somewhat quick like i said we're recording this friday morning it's almost noon uh, the interview with me and lee took place on tuesday morning all right, guys, well, enjoy, and let's get started. All right, let's just get right into this. Draymond Green and Jordan Poole got into a scuffle. Is, I guess, the polite way to say it. This happened as I was listening to the Bill Simmons show with him and Zach Lowe uh, that came out on Tuesday. I believe it was Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday. And I'm listening to it. And one of their top topics was Draymond Green. And it was about the Warriors. And if all three, Steph, Clay, and Draymond, end their careers as Warriors. One team for life, all Warriors. Bill Simmons says, the one thing I'm worried about with Draymond this year is being a contract year. Does he become a distraction? Can he handle himself? Not even two minutes later, the notification Draymond Green punched Jordan Poole, pops up on my phone, literally as I'm listening to this segment. So that's on Tuesday. I wasn't going to say anything about it. I didn't think it was that big of a deal. I was, all right, you know what, it happens. Steve Kerr got punched by Michael Jordan. So this team understands how Draymond Green works, everything that kind of goes with Draymond Green. He's great, but he's going to go crazy sometimes. Now the video comes out. Now there's issues. Everyone in the world has seen that video. It has gone viral. It has blown up on Twitter, everywhere. I mean, just insane. Um, when I woke up this morning and saw the video had been released. First of all, that video in turn is fired. And that really shows, I saw a tweet that says, shows how expensive it is to live in San Francisco because I'm sure he got paid a whole lot of money and he was not making enough being a, a video guy for the Warriors. So um, just that's another side note there. But now there's issues with the Warriors. Steph Curry looks pissed. And some of the comments he made, the apology that Draymond is just not enough. Um, you can't suspend him. You can't suspend him on ring night. I just, I don't think that's right. Um, and now I don't know what happens here. It's up to Draymond to figure it out 
and to apologize and make it up to this team and to make sure him and Jordan Poole are good. Because Jordan Poole is the future of this team. Jordan Poole is going to get a big contract. And if Jordan Poole is ran away from this Warriors team because of Draymond Green, then it's going to be major issues. It's going to ruin the future of this franchise because Draymond is on his way out of the NBA sooner than later. He doesn't have offense anymore. He can't shoot. His defense is still amazing. He showed that last year before he got hurt and had his back injury and calf injury. So he can still play great basketball. I'm not saying that he's a terrible basketball player now and everything is going to shit with him. But he's got to stop it with the attitude. It's gone too far at this point. And now that there's video evidence of what happened in that practice, of what he did to Jordan Poole, I mean, it's just, it's it's incredible to see it happen actually, right? Reports is like, okay, whatever, you know, threw a punch. It, you know, it doesn't sound as bad, but when you see the video, it, it looks ugly. It looks ugly, and now there are issues with the Warriors. All right, we're going to hop into this interview with Lee Cole, and then after that, we're going to do our NFL picks and talk about Victor Wamiana and Scooter. All right, guys, enjoy the interview. All right, everyone, welcome back to the GMT show. We have Lee Cole with Breakthrough PT on the show today. And Lee, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you taking the time. I know you have a very busy schedule. So um, we're going to talk about a few good things that parents and athletes will uh, hopefully take a lot out of today. But first off, just kind of introduce yourself and, and tell me about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on, Gregory. It's just uh, awesome what you guys do for kids and parents and schools and programs, coaches and things like that. Um, you know, adolescent athletes and certainly I'm, I'm a parent of uh, currently 17 year old senior, 15 year old sophomore uh, and a 13 year old uh, eighth grader. So we've seen our share of, of injuries and been involved in sports. And it's just a, a huge topic in our family. I'm a huge sports fan. I went to the University of Oregon um and so that's that's a big thing for us but really appreciate um what you guys are doing and getting the word out and creating conversations like these about um health and wellness and injury prevention things like that thank you i appreciate that um so i want to talk about you went to saratoga high school um and then you wanted to stay in sports a little bit so you got into physical therapy talk to me how you got into physical therapy and how that's kind of kept you in sports yeah, absolutely. Good question. Um, yeah, I dislocated my shoulder when I was at Saratoga High. Uh, my advanced placement Spanish class was down in Cuernavaca, Mexico. Um, I'll save everyone, you know, the long story about it, but basically, um, dislocated, uh, went through physical therapy, but that didn't solve it. I was still dislocating in the middle of the night, several nights a week, which wasn't fun. Um, and then needed surgery and then back through physical therapy. So as a result of that injury, um, I had, a, had others, um, through Pop Warner with, uh, Pop Warner and high school football at Saratoga and things like that. Um, but through that series, I really fell in love with what physical therapists do, which is to really figure out where someone has been, where they are, and then help them on a path to where they're going. So it's very much a partnership, um, where we're able to lead and ask really good questions to figure out 
what's going on as opposed to maybe a doctor who's going to figure out this is what happened and really define it and then kind of set that course. Physical therapists really get to be hand in hand all the way through it. And it's just um, been an amazing career so far. Gotcha. And then you uh, said that recently I read that 90% of adolescent athletes get injured with 20% resulting in at least two months of lost training time. What are your thoughts on this and how can athletes kind of get back maybe sooner or make sure that prevent that? Yeah. Um, those are the stats. <laughs> um, and we see it here first time. Um, there are a lot of things to do, but um, every injury and every sport, every athlete has their own situation. And so it really has to be done on an individualized basis, in my opinion. Um, there are some really amazing programs out there, personal trainers, coaches, you know, they're going to train on different athletics and things like that. But there's really um, a gap out there right now where people are kind of trying to keep up with what everyone else is doing, right? So some of the lead families or whatever the top athletes are, so then everyone else is just kind of following suit. And sometimes that's really amazing because you are then finding yourself with organizations that really care about these kids and all of these things. But then sometimes they still just don't have the ability to really dig in on an individual level to learn exactly what that person's goals and what that kid's goals are, um, what the family goals are and keeping that perspective. So really having someone that is truly helping them navigate through um, their actual goals to make sure they have an amazing adolescent experience and high school experience in sports, and then they can take it on uh, at whatever level they choose to. Does that answer your question? Yeah, 100%. Something that kind of leads into it, though, and me and my friends are having a conversation, Lonzo Ball, um, obviously an NBA star, the Ball family, they had their own Facebook show and all that. So very infamous, his dad and all the controversy that was around that family. Um, obviously, they trained every single day. Lonzo came out and said that he struggles even walking up the stairs because he has such bad knee issues. Uh, he missed most of last season, going to miss the first of this season as well. Um, a question brought to me was, was it because of his dad training him so hard, specifically as being the oldest son, um, and training him so hard every single day, Was could that be a reason? And so can coaches make sure and parents make sure that they can prevent these kind of injuries for great athletes? Yeah, good question. Um, that's, a whole, that's a huge, <laughs> huge topic. Uh, and I've seen it, you know, from even when I was an athlete, you know, way dating myself way back when with, you know, Jennifer Capriotti and Agassi and things in tennis, which is what I got into after my injuries, you know, all of these dads and the, you know, academies, Nick Voltaire Academy and things like that from way back when. And, you know, it's just blossomed, you know, sports and adolescent athletic development has just grown so much. It's unbelievable what's out there and the incredible groups that, you know, what they have to offer. In terms of the parents, um, it's always interesting because, you know, someone like Lonzo Ball and LaMelo and LaVar and, you know, the whole family and the big baller brand, you know, that doesn't help happen without strong leadership. So, you know, I don't want to necessarily get into the conversation of, you know, how we define success, but, you know, pretty successful to get to the level that, you know, they're all at and, you know, performing at the level that they're at and things like uh, that nature. You also have to look at 
you know, their, um, Richard Williams, look at Venus and Serena, you know, Serena's greatest of all time at this point. Michael Jordan, you know, look at what Earl Woods did with Tiger. Um, there's some questions in my mind, you know, as to, you know, if, if he probably should have had a more diversified workout. Um, when you look at, you know, Tiger swing, even when he was way back at Stanford, it was so fast. I mean, it was just a matter of time until, um, something broke down there. So I don't know that we can blame the parents. These parents have put their kids and they set a goal, um, that they were going to be big time. Um, and so they've, they've done that. Um, it takes, you know, everything has to be exactly right to fully work out. Um, and sometimes, um, and at that level, you know, you are going to have, you know, injury breakdown, you know, injuries and breakdown. And sometimes you can get through it. Sometimes you can't. Um, so, you know, I'm not in the place and I don't think any professional would ever be able to specifically identify, oh, he can't walk upstairs because his dad did this, you know, way back when. I think, um, that's too easy, um, to kind of place blame there and as opposed to saying, yeah, maybe there should have been some other guidance and leadership um, for those kids um, to really develop proper strength, proper, proper flexibility, maybe mixing up um, their workout routines and things of that nature. Um, so that, that's kind of my, my story there. Yeah. And it's hard to say that what Lonzo or not Lonzo, what LeVar did, for his kids is wrong because he had three kids in the NBA at some point. Even Jello has played some NBA basketball. So it's hard to yeah. say that's like, you know, he took the wrong path because his kids are very successful. I'm glad you kind of brought up the Tiger Woods thing and then maybe should have diversified his workout. Cause one thing we were talking about as well is how much can playing multiple sports maybe make a more well-rounded body and make it easier to be more athletic when you're playing. You know, I think a lot of people are just football heavy, um, you know, let's play this one sport, focus on this one thing, but how much can playing like football, basketball, baseball, track and field, doing all these different things help an athlete? Yeah, absolutely. I think there are many different approaches and I certainly wouldn't try to say that whatever I would say is, is the right way. Um, everyone is different. And so um, I definitely have heard and seen massive benefits, especially at the high school level where there's a tendency to focus and really um, specialize in just one sport. So then that just becomes year long, um, nonstop. Um, in general, I find that a lot of college recruiters, not all of them, but a lot of college recruiters definitely recommend that you keep a little bit more diversified and things like that. You could go back to, you know, again, I'm dating myself a little bit, um, you know, go back to Bo Jackson or even Michael Jordan when he, you know, shifted over to baseball and things like that. Um, at that time, back in the 80s, right, it developed cross training came out of that. So that at every, you know, through history, there is going to be continuous things and strategies that help kind of define a new a new era in sport uh, and sports performance, injury prevention, all of these things. Um, and so, you know, I believe that in general, you can still be in the same sport all year round. If, I mean, if there's no other sport that you really have a passion to play and things like that, I think just diversifying sport is not going to solve your injury problems and athleticism and things like that. I think it can help make you more well-rounded. I do think it's good for the body 
to have other stresses on it in general, even if it's just pickup games and things like that. Um, so definitely just doing one thing all the time is, is a problem. But the other part of that, if you choose to specialize and not diversify and create other seasons with different sports is that you do have to have a proper personal trainer or group or physical therapist or someone that's really guiding you into proper weightlifting, proper flexibility, and really teaching you about your body and movement patterns and really key foundational things that just get missed because our kids are in sport and we just kind of keep moving them through. So they don't, they never really learn a proper stretching routine or dynamic workout. Um, or as we get into the weight room, sometimes if, if you've got a good personal trainer or coach, that has got some good recommendations and experience, then you might find it where they can give you good sport specific training for the things that you do. But even in football, right? what a quarterback needs is very different from a, what a running back needs to do in the gym is very different from what a defensive end or a linebacker needs. Same thing in soccer. What you need to be training, you know, a goalie on is very different from what you need to train your midfielders on. So you just put them in soccer and put them through the same program. It can be a problem. And then you have different body types, right? So you have to have someone that's actually looking at what's going on there. Some people, come in to us, you know, either post-injury or for injury prevention, and um, they're hyper-flexible. And so they think they don't even know it. They think that they need more flexibility. And it's not that we want them to stop stre stretching, but we need to teach them the proper ways to do it and also the proper strength program to build to support that flexibility so that they can be solid throughout. So long-winded answer to sports specific or not, um, I think diversifying, at least in terms of your training, is absolutely key. Um, and diversifying in terms of playing other sports and challenging tissues at different levels is highly recommended. And that kind of leads into what kind of workouts can help build strength, but also keep strain off of your body. Because I think a lot of athletes struggle with kind of finding that good balance, you know, um, without having that proper physical therapist or like trainer and stuff like that. So what can, what kind of advice can you give for that? Yeah, good question. You know, it kind of ties a little bit into what I ended up sharing in the, right. in the last one, which is, I think you have to determine your goals, right? The parent and the child have to look at that, you know, discuss it with coaches or, you know, what, what are their real goals there? Um, and then you have to look at what, you know, positions in that sport do you want to train in? So once you have as much specificity as possible, then that gives you a guide, um, you know, or, or a destination that you're looking to get to so that then you can input a proper program to get you there. Um, if it's just, this is what we do for our soccer players you may be in the wrong place um, or you may want to just double check and make sure that you're really giving your child everything possible that's out there um, that's not being missed to give them the best chance. And the biggest thing at this age, you know, for adolescents, they really have to understand their body, right? They have to understand how it moves, how it works, right? We all, um, I know in a prior conversation that you and I have, you know, 
some of the reason we got here, different injuries, you know, um, that we've all had. And there's reasons for them. Sometimes they're preventable. Sometimes they're not. Um, sometimes an injury that happens is less intense as a result of proper training. So I don't have a specific workout routine that I can, you know, give to everyone and it just kind of works. Um, I sure would make a lot more money that way probably if I just had a magic wand, I just waved over people. Um, but, you know, it, it really just requires serious people being truthful with who they're working with um, and really making a plan. And then when that plan changes, which it does for many, um, navigating that and still supporting, you know, that. And this next thing that I want to talk about, maybe you can bring your own parenting um, experiences into it is at what age should young athletes really be training hard when it comes to lifting weights, running a ton, all that sort of different workouts that these athletes do uh, with you having a 17 year old all the way down to eighth grade, you know, what do you kind of tell your kids that are maybe getting into that? Yeah, you know, in terms of, um, you know, at what age is the right age? You know, again, it is individual specific. I just read recently, uh, I think the Mayo Clinic had an art article, um, and I actually just made a post on, on LinkedIn about it because I was curious to hear what other people were saying um, along those same lines. Um, Mayo Clinic, which is a highly trusted, you know, set of resources for, you know, medical advice and things of that nature, suggest they make a, a, a delineation between strength training and weight training, like with in the weight room with weights and things of that nature. So they say no problem, seven, to eight years old, get them strength training, get them to understand those things. And I definitely fully agree with that. Um, many people would say, hey, no problem getting them into the weight room. If, again, like if you're a LeVar Ball type person or Earl Woods or something like that, and you've got big goals, you know, you want to be ahead, you want to be different, you want to do what some of the other people are doing. But these kids are growing. And so if they don't know what they're doing and why they're doing it, I think you have to establish that very clearly for your child, or they're going to be on the wrong path. They may be developing incredible strength and some flexibility and doing some cool things that their friends aren't able to do. But that's where I think it can start to go wrong because it's hard to course correct once you put a kid in the gym and given them, you know, it's like handing them the keys of the car and they don't have a driver's license yet. So there are uh, processes and different levels of learning and understanding that do have to be met. We haven't um, defined that yet uh, collaboratively, you know, internationally. Um, but I think that may be one of the things that, that could be coming uh, in, in years and years to, to come on this topic. Um, certainly, I think by the age of 13 or 14, um, you should be definitely, and if the athlete, you know, if the individual is looking to advance in athletics and learn about how to get around the weight room and what to do and why to do it and warm ups associated with those exercises, um, I think it's definitely appropriate. Um, and at the same time, I think part of it is a, ma a maturity thing right? Because you have to get them in the weight room. Could they instruct someone else uh, in this exercise and why they're doing it? Can they tell that to someone else? I think when you've got a child, you know, maybe that's 12, that can really explain what they're doing and why they're doing it and how to do it 
and that they're not being forced into, you know, significantly higher weights too quickly. That makes, that makes sense. Then they have the maturity to, to handle that. I just saw another video that came across my Facebook feed from some other organization that does strength training, you know, and the video of this kid's doing, you know, massive, you know, deadlifting and deadlifting and clean and jerk. And, you know, the knees are collapsing in. And I mean, the fact that they even put it on a Facebook ad is, is scary. Um, but at the same time, they're also doing really good things. It's just they probably needed just scale down the weight. You know, I think they're probably teaching really good mechanics and things, but, you know, they advance a kid too fast. And so there's just a small tweak that's there. It's not that they're crazy, you know, that they're doing something massively wrong, but if that doesn't get corrected, it will be a problem for that child and everyone going through that program later on. Does that make sense? Yeah. So basically just to clarify that last point, big weights isn't always better. Better mechanics with the proper weight is always better. Yeah. Very good. You made that sound a lot simpler than I did. I appreciate it. <laughs> no problem. So I want to get into the mental aspect of things and Chris and I are very high on mental health and we've talked about it ourselves, our own issues that we've had with it. And we're, we hope that the stigma is going away about people having mental health issues, but there's a whole other mental aspect when it comes to sports injuries. And I want to start with the parent side of things. So when they're watching their kid play, especially football, we had a conversation about Tua uh, before we started this podcast and the scariness of how that situation was handled, the images that came out of it. Um, and that's with an NFL program that has a ton of doctors on the sidelines, people that are you yeah. know trained and the highest level doctors, and they still had to go through what was most likely two concussions in a matter of four or five days. Yeah. So how do parents really kind of sit there and, and know that their child is safe? And, you know, if they do go through an injury, how can they kind of themselves help their child on their end? um going to proper channels yeah well so many so many ways to, to to go with that um certainly you know concussions are serious right we've learned about that you know when you and i were were kids it was like uh it's just a just a stinger you know you got you got your bell rung get back on the field right we've learned a lot so we've come a long way since then um i actually also have pretty uh incredible um personal experience with concussion, not necessarily in sport, but my youngest actually had a, a head injury when he was, you know, not even two years old. Um, it was a really scary situation. Um, he's incredibly athletic now, but it's a very, very much a conversation that we have in our household. Um, I have several uh, friends that have had kids go through it along with, you know, plenty of patients and people that we've seen and other people that we've just kind of guided through it. Um, as a parent, right, to get back to your question, uh, it's difficult because you have your own concerns and things and then potentially judgment of who's handling your child and where do you take them. So there's so many <laughs> different pieces of a puzzle to put in place. I think number one is, you know, once you know that your child is, is okay, that they don't have major brain damage and things like that, and that this is just a concussion that's going to take some time. Some of them are more major and we've seen it where, you know, the child is out of school for an entire year um, and, you know, changes the entire course of their life different from just, you know, an ankle sprain or an ACL, which is 
you know, e- equally devastating for the person going through it, but much more manageable. You're still able to function, carry on your relationships and things like that. Whereas concussion um, can be very isolating for um, the whole family. Um, did that answer your question? What other pieces um, do you want to, before I keep kind of blathering on here? Yeah, no, let's try and hit on as well, apart from the concussions, maybe go through like the ACLs and maybe some things that the parents can can do to help their kids through that process. Because like you said, it's very devastating when a kid who's playing football, basketball, whatever sport they're playing, to go through that, um, you know, what are some things that parents can help with? Yeah, good question. So, you know, basically you're going to want to really make sure that you're asking the doctors or medical professionals, you know, really good questions about what's going on to help understand, you know, what's the prognosis here? What does this look like? Is this going to be permanent? You know, and just really not be afraid to ask these questions. Be careful what you then start to read online and going into chat groups and, you know, forums and all sorts of things like that. People can really get lost. Um, in some ways those can be very helpful and supportive and amazing, but you then may start to hear all these horror stories just cloud your ability to, to sleep at night as a parent, um, to be able to help your child who's going through their own grieving process and things. Um, but really any injury, right, is going to go through, um, a grieving process. And so there's just kind of the natural progression of things that you go through. And um, the parent is going to go through that, the child and maybe other um, siblings, you know, uh, additionally, the coaches involved, let's say this is the star athlete on the team, the coaches, the team, the community, um, that can be involved. Um, So there's all sorts of different things. But the way to help your child, I think, is really listen to them um they don't have the answers um but ask them really good questions how are you feeling um and then when they say fine you know (laughs) you're gonna have to get you know into that a little bit deeper um you know getting them in for a proper neurological consultation and really establishing a good relationship with that doctor if you're not getting good advice then you know certainly finding someone else that can help you do that we certainly do that with our VHC services to really help people navigate these problems um, because it is hard to find our way through the medical system. Um, and so you need to have a, a partner that's there. And sometimes our medical system can let us down. Um, so you want someone that can help you ask the right questions, not necessarily, you know, um, cause any problems or, you know, disconcern with people you're trusting to take care of your child and guide you. Um, but just support so that when you go back for your next appointment, you can ask them really good, clear, pointed questions and, and continue to move forward. Does that help? Yeah, no, 100% does. Now let's go into the player side of things um, where there's two parts to this. So there's the mental aspect that we'll go through first in terms of you're no longer able to play your sport that you love. You're laid up. You have you know, either a cast on your arm or a brace on your knee, whatever the injury is, how can players kind of, our athletes, I should say, cope with with that situation and try and keep their spirits up knowing that they're going through a long process to get back onto the field? Yeah, for sure. Um, You know, again, first, you know, kind of going through, you know, there's kind of two ways to look at that. We look at kind of the acute phase, right? That initial 
phase and then the subacute phase. So from an acute phase standpoint, like I was talking about in the mental, is right the phases of grieving, right? So initially, you know, child, family is going to go through denial, right? And then that progresses into anger, um, bargaining, right? Where you're trying to rationalize through that, potentially a little bit of depression. And then you finally come out into acceptance, right? So you don't necessarily have to bypass those phases type of thing. You want to go through them. But ultimately, you have to realize as quickly as possible that you will have to accept this happened to you. Um, and this is what you then have to, to deal with, right? The good and the bad in life. I think it's a part of what helps us all mature as individuals. Um, it helps define us, right? I mean, I could have been angry, but now here I am a physical therapist as a result of a, you know, career ending injury from basketball. Not that I was going to be some star athlete there, um, but I couldn't try out, you know, for the basketball team with a broken arm and, you know, these types of things. Um, so, you know, for the child to go through is to realize you'll get there, right? And to have that per, you know, perspective and allow yourself to accept those phases. Um, and then, you know, to be asking good questions, right? That they, they can ask questions of their parents and to lean on people and not to isolate themselves. I think that can be a really scary spot where, you know, here you have this path, whether you're really a star athlete or otherwise. And, you know, now you start to lose um, self-confidence and self-esteem and identity. Um, ironically, my roommate at the University of Oregon freshman year um, was Alex Molden, who ended up getting drafted, you know, 11th in the 1996 draft. And he, he's gone on to write a book um, literally about how his identity it was really hard when he finally left his NFL career. Um, where, where do you go at that when your entire life has been, you know, trying to get recruited at the top level, doing workouts that are, you know, more than whatever everyone else was doing type of thing um, and navigating that. So I think the other thing is having perspective, recognizing, you know, people like, you know, um, LaMelo Ball um, that you mentioned earlier. Um, I know we talked about Tua a little bit with his concussion, you know, recently and what's going on there. Um, you'll get through it and, you know, having faith and, and hope and, um, just relying on, on your family to, to, to navigate is, is important. Yeah. And I love your point about your roommate in Oregon of a lot of athletes go through that issue of, what do I do now, right? Careers end, whether it's in high school, whether it's in college, whether it's at a professional league, at some point they're going to end because our bodies will deteriorate unless you're Tom Brady. But, you know, you're going to continue to to have to do that. And that's where, you know, I, I liked our conversation earlier about staying in sports. There's so many different options, whether it's physical therapy or other things. So the other thing I want to talk about on, on the players. Real, real, oh, real, quick, real quick before you go on. You know, in addition to that, I think it kind of goes back to what I said a little bit earlier. You know, what is your goal, right? Or what is success, right? Because what happens is either this child or adolescent or whatever feels that they're supposed to be at this level. And now this happened and that will never happen and they will never be a success. That is absolutely not true. I think athletes need to understand and parents and coaches and, you know, trainers and things need to do a better job earlier on in life to say, this is only a part, your amazing athleticism, your passion or your you know, willingness to put in the extra effort. That is only a small piece of what makes you amazing part of this planet, 
and you know it, it goes from there i mean <laughs> you mentioned tom brady you know i've never been you know, a huge fan but he is unbelievably part of it just because i'm not a huge <laughs> patriots fan um but he has hands down proven himself right but he's really struggling right now right i mean you know here he you know took the bucks to the super bowl and all this and now it's it's not looking great this year in a lot of ways. So, but how do you go back to normal, normal life? What is normal? So really defining, you know, what is success? What is happiness? You know, where do you really want to be um, earlier? And maybe once you have an injury like this, it's a good time to reflect. Yeah. So then I, so you said it perfectly, by the way, that I couldn't add anything better to that. So this is the part that I want to get into about the mental aspect is the physical side of that mental of can I still jump like I did before after going through a surgery? Can I still throw the way I used to be able to do it? Can I plant my foot and make that cut the way I used to? It's different for everyone. and I know everyone goes through those struggles when they're coming back from an injury because it can be scary to not want to have that same pain and or not feel that pain anymore and trusting that body. How can kids get to that point? Is there a better way to kind of avenue your way through those issues to get to where you can fully trust your body again? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's again, it's it's difficult, but you have to have faith that that's going to happen, and you have to put in the work. Um, and I think starting out is the hardest part, right? So one, getting through that mentally, and then you know you're starting to move into that acceptance phase. And, you know, you redefine your goals and you decide what you're going to do and you take it step by step, just like we all do every day with everything else we do. It's, it's just a part of life. We had to crawl before we could walk and we fell many times, right, before we you know, could walk on our own. So it's really just kind of a, a little bit of a reset. Um, in many cases, you know, with some injuries, you can get back um, just as well, if not better, because now you're actually receiving proper training coming out of an injury and then the guidance and you might continue with you know that group beyond there um to really learn some of the things that you probably should have learned which we talked about earlier um when you were eight you know or when you were 12 or when you were 14 but those got skipped because you were keeping up with what everyone was doing and you were this amazing athlete but then this happened to you and it's not that anyone did anything wrong or anything, but yes, you can absolutely get back to that level. And sometimes, oftentimes, um, even greater, you know, I mean, look at Kevin Durant. I mean, how he came back and was able to do what he did in the time and, you know, Clay, Clay coming back, right. Or you Warriors fans out there and winning a championship. I mean, that was, that's why actually I get chills. I don't know why I'm not as, I don't know why that happened just now, but um, seeing him and what he had been through and all the doubts and, you know, on a team where you've got all these amazing players and, you know, suddenly a reputation that never existed before. Um, I cannot imagine you know, what it was like for him. So the feeling, and you can just see it, like if you go back and look at, you know, any of the interviews with him or just, the elation that he had at the at the parade and things of that nature. Um, Clay Thompson was just kind of one of those that was um, pretty miraculous. He'd be one of the people I'd be most interested to interview, if I'm honest with you, because uh, it was a huge victory. And I think 
you got to, as a, as a kid, you got to look at some of these people, right? Sure. Not everyone's going to be a Clay Thompson or a Kevin Durant. And, um, but it's there, it's available. You just have to have the right resources. Um, and you may actually come out better. Yeah. I think Clay Thompson might be the epitome of the entire conversation we've had today. He went through the mental issues, you know, obviously the physical issues, um, I mean, he was crying on the bench because he couldn't play anymore, but the Warriors wanted him around the team so he could have that. He wasn't sitting at home, you know, being sad and, yeah. and lonely because, you know, when you're part of a team, it's, it's, you become, they become family because you're hanging out with them so much. Yeah. But I think also the technology and things that physical therapists are doing now with all the new research that's been done in the last 15 years. I think 15 years ago, Clay Thompson probably never plays again because you go through an ACL and an Achilles injury. That was kind of the, the death of an athlete where now Achilles injuries are kind of like they're still really bad, but not nearly as bad as they were 15 years ago. What kind of, you know, would you agree with that as a physical therapist that all your research has kind of helped at this point? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, again, we continue to evolve, you know, and um, there's just so much more data out there. There's more resources out there. Um, our assessment, right? Like we talked about earlier, same thing with the concussions. We didn't know what that was way back then, right? Um, and, and what happened 30 years later um, for people who are having major mental issues and, you know, damage that hadn't been addressed and, you know, nobody knew. And so they medicated in all sorts of other ways. So, um, yeah, we've come a long way. We've got uh, a long way to go. I do think there is a, a big gap with some of our youth and adolescent sports in terms of teaching proper movement patterns and maybe trying to just keep them playing and moving them from one, you know, club team to the, to the next and, and not giving them a break or not having time to properly do some training outside of those, or maybe having the club teams kind of integrate um, some other training that's not necessarily sports specific. Uh, it's just hard because kids want to play. They want to have fun and they have the bodies to do it. So, you know, for a kid that, wants to just be out there playing and is super athletic, you know, he doesn't need you taking him through a full flexibility. So it's hard um, to be able to go there um, with kids that are otherwise showing, you know, in incredible prowess and athleticism. And you know, the battle that you would fight to try to do, to do it right. Um, and so, yeah, we're learning, we're learning, but yeah, we've come a long way and, yeah, it is. I don't know what would have happened 15 years ago with Clay, but um, certainly he's better. Anyone's better off today than they would have been 15 years ago. And the good news is that's only going to continue to happen. So athletes in years to come, um, there's only going to be more tools and resources for you to be more successful. So um, better hope for those kids that are starting to or that are new to an injury um, that are having those mental struggles or the parents and things like that. I think it's a great opportunity. It's a great question um, that hopefully people can take home with them today um, to realize that um, better tools and resources are just going to be available. So you should be able to get through it better than your parents would. Yeah. Before I wrap this up, was there anything that I didn't cover in any questions that you want to kind of point out to the parents and to student athletes? Oh, um, not necessarily other than, you know, thanking you again for what you guys are doing for parents and coaches and just adolescent athletics, um, setting people up for success. I, I certainly 
appreciate all of that. I appreciate our time today. Um, on a personal level, I'm more than happy if anyone's having issues. Um, you, they can certainly reach out to me on LinkedIn. I don't know. Um, you're welcome to share um, my email address and things with people so they can reach out. Otherwise, from a breakthrough standpoint, our VHC services, um, that's certainly an option that's available where we can kind of talk through things. But, you know, I'm more than happy to make myself available. I, I've dedicated my life to helping others. Um, and I'm in a position now where I really enjoy doing that any way I can. Um, helping them find a proper practitioner, or, you know, someone to ask questions to and, you know, try to find resources when you're feeling like you don't um, know where to turn. So happy to be a resource for people. Perfect. And also we have on our newsletter that goes out uh, twice a week, there is a separate landing page inside of that newsletter that gives a discount code to go and have an individual conversation. Like we mentioned multiple times in this, each person is different. So you have any different questions um, that you think needs to be answered for yourself. You can have, go have a consultation with them. We have a separate landing page. Um, like I said, you can also email us or reach out to, to Lee over here um, and see if any way we can help. But like I said, that's in our newsletter that goes out every Tuesday and Friday now. So. But thank you, Lee. I really appreciate you coming on and you know giving us a lot of advice and giving the parents and athletes really a lot to to think about and different ways to go through a bunch of different uh, issues that they might have and injuries and workouts and all that stuff. So it was very informational. I really appreciate it and uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Great job. Appreciate it. What's up, guys? Hopefully, hopefully you enjoyed that interview with me and Nicole. Um, I know I enjoyed talking to him. It was a great interview to conduct, and it was a great conversation that we had. And I know I was able to learn a lot from him. So, um, like I said, go check out our newsletter. If you're not subscribed, get subscribed to the newsletter and make sure you have that code uh, to make sure you can go talk to Lee. If you have your own issues, as we said, everyone is personalized when it comes to these sort of things. But what we're going to get into now is Victor Wembanyama. I've been listening to a couple different people, um, people that are smarter than me when it comes to scouting NBA. But I don't think it takes a genius in basketball to figure out that Victor Wembanyama is ridiculous. I'm going to call him the UFO. That's that's what I'm. That's his nickname for me. He is the UFO. Because he's seven five, and he was shooting like Steph Curry out there. He moves incredibly. He doesn't move like your typical seven five, kind of awkward, lengthy. No, he has a fluid motion. He knows how to run around the perimeter, move without the ball. His shot blocking is incredible. I mean, it it, it was a lot of fun to watch, and then the competitiveness. And I'm going to get into this with Scooter as well. The competitiveness between him and Scooter, oh my goodness. I mean, these two are clearly, right now, at least at this moment, the number one and number two pick in the NBA draft. We already know it. I mean, I don't really care who comes up in college. I feel like these two are the, the two best players right now. And it's not even close. And Victor is really not even close to Scooter. And despite Scooter being better than John Morant was when he was coming out. Um, 
better than Derrick Rose when he was coming out. I mean, Scooter is the real deal. And the competitive fight that these two had, um, not only, you know, in the game and an exhibition game, but those two know that they're the two best. And those two knew that the world was watching. 200 plus NBA scouts at this game. I mean, just everyone knows that this is these are the two guys and they put on a show. There's a bigger point to this though, because this NBA draft from all the experts are saying is gonna be insane. And we now know the top two picks are insane. Now what's the rest, right? That's now college is gonna start. We're gonna see the rest of the draft come through. It's time for expansion. I, it's been talked about. There's rumors. Bill Simmons has been on it for, I think, like a year now, saying Vegas and Seattle are going to get expansion teams, and it's sooner rather than later, especially when this Phoenix Suns get sold. When they go for $4 billion plus, and then the owners can realize they can get a, a total of $9 billion from two expansion teams, spread around to the rest of them. I mean, that's cash into the owner's hands. I don't see why not. But then you go into the product in the NBA. What is there a bad team right now other than San Antonio and Utah who are clearly taking to get Victor or Scoop? But they just traded away all their players. DeJounte Murray um, and Donovan Mitchell, two stars in this league who make their new teams much, much better. So when you look at this league, the Kings, they have an exciting roster. Orlando, it's an exciting roster. Charlotte, it's still an exciting roster with ball there. There's a lot, a lot of good teams in the NBA. And up and down the roster, it's good player, good player, good player, has, has potential, has potential, can do this really well can do that really well and that's when you get into we could add two more teams and be just fine and still have competitive games still have incredible amount of good talent on the expansion teams i think it's time to have that conversation and to just do it i know it takes a lot of time to get it going and and there's a bunch of different things legally that needs to get done to get the expansion teams, but I'd rather see this sooner than later. There's too many good college prospects coming out that come out and play in the G League, and it's great for the G League. I know that they've been having better and better years and in terms of being profitable and, and having good players in their system, but that just means we need two more teams in the NBA. All right, everyone, final segment. I know this has been a longer than usual GNT show, but there's a ton to get into. Um, on this Friday morning, uh, as we go into the weekend, there's still tons to talk about that I didn't get to, um, that I want to get to on next week's podcast. I'm going to try and get a guest and we can talk about it more. Um, but the Aaron Judge, Barry Bonds, and how great of a season that was. But that's all for next week. Uh, we're gonna, going to get into that. But for now, I'm going to quickly go through this week's NFL slate. <clears throat> And it starts with Colts Broncos uh, that we all watched last night. Um, we're never going to get those three hours back. That was the worst game ever. Um, I'm done talking about that. 
First up, Giants-Packers. This one is in London again, another London game. So 6.30 a.m. for us here on the West Coast. No one's going to get up and watch this game. Giants-Packers. Packers win this one. Steelers-Bills. This one won't even be closed. Kenny Pickett is the only story in this game. How does he look against one of the best defenses in the NFL? Bills win this one easily. Chargers-Browns. This one's in Cleveland. Um, more closer than I pe- think people will think it will be. Um, I'm going to take the Chargers in this one. It's only going to be by field goal. I'm not a big fan of the way the Chargers are playing. Um, their coach, Brandon Staley, is not. He's lucky they won last week. Otherwise, he could have been fired last week. So let's just leave it at that. Bears-Vikings is the next one. Um, no one cares. Vikings win this one. Lions-Patriots. Jeez, I don't want to talk about the Patriots anymore. I'm going to take my team, though. I'm never going to take against my team Patriots win this one Seahawks Saints uh two more bad teams I'm not even sure if Jameis is playing last this week um but I'm going to take the Saints I just I can't pick the Seahawks I don't believe in them uh Dolphins Jets uh this one should be the Dolphins the Jets look so much better this year though two and two already this season but the Dolphins should win this one even with Teddy as their quarterback Falcons Bucks Tom Brady's going to figure it out. He's got his receivers back. They put up points last week. The defense is still great. Bucks win this one. Titans, Commanders, uh, or I should say Washington football team. It's better than Commanders. Titans win this one. Commanders are terrible. Texans, Jaguars. Jaguars are way better than Texans. Texans will keep it close because they're a three-quarter football team. And that's all they ever do is just play three quarters and then the fourth quarter they'll blow it. So Jaguars win that one. Worst game of the week, 49ers-Panthers. This one's not even be close. Baker's been trash just god awful this year and the 49ers defense is probably the best in the league right now 49ers win this one in a blowout <clears throat> cowboys rams sunday afternoon uh, on fox i think this is the game of the week uh, you know what i'm on my phone bailey zappy is starting for the patriots right now just saw that i'm sticking with my patriots anyways cowboys rams cowboys are gonna win this one i do not like matthew stafford i don't know if it's the elbow i don't know what it is super bowl hangover Cowboys defense is going to get to him, and he's going to have a hard time on Sunday afternoon. Eagles-Cardinals, the last of the Sunday afternoon games. Eagles win this one. Cardinals, they'll probably come back in the second half. It's kind of a tale of two teams. The Eagles are a great first-half team. Cardinals are terrible. Cardinals are a great second-half team. The Eagles don't score as much in the second half. That's because they don't need to. They're not going to need to again because the Eagles will probably put up 35 in the first half. Sunday night. Best game of the week, probably. Bengals at Ravens. The Ravens trying to bounce back. They've had a a weird year. Their defense is not what you expect a Baltimore defense to be. They're just not very good. The Bengals also a weird year. Um, The offense just hasn't been what you expect the offense to be. So I think both teams kind of get somewhat back on track, even though one of them is going to lose. I'm going to take Baltimore in this one, though. I think Lamar Jackson on Sunday Night Football, a bounce-back game. He's in that contract year. He's in revenge mode. He's collecting a paycheck every single time he goes on there, and that check just keeps going up and up and up. Ravens win that one. Raiders-Chiefs Monday night. Why do they put this on Monday night? The Raiders are – they just never beat the Chiefs. They're never going to beat Patrick Mahomes. It's just not – like, Mahomes sees the Raiders logo on the other sideline. And he puts up 40. It, it's given. The Chiefs are putting up 40 Monday night. Just check market, bookmark it, whatever. 40 points. Chiefs win. That's it. 
All right, everyone, that does it for the GMT show. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for Lee Cole for hopping on. Um, we will be back next week. Like I said, I want to talk about Aaron Judge, Barry Bonds, and Aaron Judge's incredible season. There's still a lot of great topics that I have not covered that I want to cover. Um, high school football this weekend, I will be at Midi tonight uh, as they welcome in Reardon. That should be a great game. Um, I'm on a run of a lot of blowouts, so I'm hoping for a great game. But it should be a good one. Go to westcoastpreps.com. Subscribe. Less than a dollar a week. Go catch up on all of our great stories, feature stories, game recaps, rankings, and much, much more. Also on the West Coast Preps Podcast Network, we had the Mike Hill Show earlier this week. He'll come back on Sunday with a new show. The Coons Podcast coming out every week on Tuesdays. I'm either Wednesday or Friday, the West Coast Press Podcast every Thursday. That's our schedule right now. We also have more stuff in the works, so we'll see if we can even get more podcasts onto our podcast network, West Coast Preps. Go to YouTube, West Coast Preps, like and subscribe, and we will see you next week. Thanks, guys.